Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have with me Michael Olmert. Um, He's the author of Kitchen Smokehouses and Privy. So thank you for joining me today, Michael. It's, it's, I'm honored to be here. Okay. So tell me, tell me about your background. Oh, well, I, um, I went to graduate school and got uh, two degrees in, in English literature and I was a medievalist. And, um, then I got it, I took it, I've been interested, I had a really good 18th century professor in, in college. And, uh, so I, I began teaching 18th century courses and <coughs> one year, I was teaching a number of 18th century poems and mid-century things. And I, I noticed, I said, you know, it might be good. I said to the students, it might be interesting to you since I was teaching the college park. Right. And um, I said to my students, if anyone wants to get some extra credit, there are 18th century houses in Alexandria, Virginia, or Georgetown, or Annapolis especially, and, oh, and yeah. some in Prince George's County near the campus. Mm-hmm that are, were built or constructed or added onto in exactly the same years of the novels and poetry that you're reading this semester. Right. I'm just saying you have carte blanche to go visit any of them and walk around with a docent and take notes and write you know, five pages on the thing. And, and that's when I started. And then when the kids started to do it, I started to take it. I lived in Annapolis for 25 years. Oh, yes. And the, and, and the 18th century housing there is just remarkable. It was, it it was the capital. Yeah. So, um, and it was, I was just, I was knocked out at how uh, amazing the, the students were at responding to the buildings this way. But I teach at the University of Maryland. All the kids are very smart and, and have been for a long time. It's hard to get in there now. And especially if you live in the state, it's a real deal to come to Maryland. So all my right. students, first of all, I'm still teaching there. I think I'm the oldest person in the English department, but the kids are all smarter than I am. They just don't know it yet. I just have more experience than they do. That's right. all. Yeah. They, I've, they, yeah. You know that. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I we I've had a couple two 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 summers of interns, and they're just exceptional. And they're like you know they're early twenties, and they like have things <laughs> they have things figured out better than I do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important for us to stay like that. I mean. A little, a little modesty and, and regard. You know, very few of, of my professors took me seriously. Mm. Maybe in the whole, well, my, my graduates, you know, from BA to PhD took like 20, 10 or 12 years. And maybe five of them were really nice to me and the rest just tolerated. 
and maybe that was my fault. I don't know. Looking back, but I, 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 I'm really nice to my students because I really believe in them, and, and they're easy to believe in. So there we go. I'm talking too much no, about uh, not yeah, what you. No, and, and I, I agree with you. I, 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 I had experiences with some professors that were just. I wouldn't treat people that way, no matter what they did. And oh yeah, I could I could go off on a tangent, but I won't. <laughs> I mean, I just think that authoritative rule in in education has has is really passed its sell by date. Because yeah. some of those guys, and can I just say they were always guys, were Nazis. Yeah. They just they knew everything. Don't question anything. Just 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 let me talk for an hour and fifteen minutes and take notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. The one that I was going to go on my tangent about. That's exactly how it was. And I had gone to him, and um, I said, you know, it's my parents' twenty fifth anniversary, my grandparents' fiftieth. They're having a celebration together. I'll be gone for it was an extra day off of Labor Day. Yeah. And he's like, well, you already started out with an F in my course, though. Yeah. And I was like, one day. <laughs> so, and I, I just don't want to be. And I don't think you, you. It, I don't want to be too. <laughs> negative here i mean my graduate education was really good and i had five maybe six professors in that 12 years that were ridiculously nice to me and shared everything with me and changed my life right yeah and those are the people that do change lives yeah it's not the people that are being ridiculous (laughs) yeah but so no i just so i I, that's the important part yeah i was going to say that's a really interesting assignment though to connect what you're doing in English to the 18th, 18th century, like physical um, yeah. place. That so, was really it. Really so that, that, that taught me about um, studying the material past, mm-hmm. that the material past really can broaden and illuminate the intellectual past that's on the page. Right. So if you look at, so look at a building and look at the way its windows are designed and look at the way its hallways are laid out and then look at the backyard for the 18th century in the mid Atlantic. That's my, you know, I, my, my, I'm really good at, uh, at, at small 18th century architecture in the backyards of Maryland, Virginia, and the Carolinas. But, and, but I do, I mean, there's some things in, and there's a couple of things in Georgia and there's a couple of things in Pennsylvania and there's some yeah. in Massachusetts. And there's a bunch of course in England because because um, my book is about that, that small architecture and, there's a, and it comes in eight categories. So there's uh, smokehouses, privies, kitchens, um, dairies, uh, offices, which were, you know, because for some reason, and this starts really late in the 18th century, if you were a lawyer or a big agricultural farmer, for some reason, they wanted that out of the household. So a separate building for their offices too. Yeah. A building for dovecoats to keep, to keep um, doves, because wow. doves give you three things. They give you feathers for pillows. They give mm. you meat that you can eat. And they give you guano to put on your uh, fertilizer for your kitchen. Oh, yeah. So really good. And only the very richest people had doves because it was they, they were really well-designed buildings. And um, some people had 500 doves. There are examples in England of people having 1,500 doves. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, um, so doves and ice houses. And uh, so those last two, the dove house and the ice house are for very, very posh families. They want to have mm-hmm. in the summertime. They want to have cool drinks, Um, often not putting the ice in the drink, but putting it around the wine bottle to cool it down. Oh, yeah. Because they would collect the ice in the wintertime and it would have leaves and sticks in it. And we have we have complaints about people, you know, drinking their drink at at Monticello. Monticello, Let's just say Monticello. I don't have an example there, but I I can't think of one offhand. But people say, hey, there's sticks in my drink. I don't uh, (laughs) know. 
So, so it's it was it was rare to have the ice in the drink in the 18th century, but it wasn't unheard. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah that anyway, makes so sense. so then, so I, so I, for, uh, I think that did I do did I do all eight of them? Uh, smokehouses, privies, dairies, offices, dovecotes, and ice houses. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, we only have six. Oh, so uh, so laundries. Oh yeah. And kitchens. Oh, I didn't write kitchen down. You said kitchen, but I, I just didn't write yeah. it fast enough. Yeah, so kitchens, laundries, smokehouses, dairies, privies, offices, milk kits. And so the other thing that's interesting to me, especially in the mid-Atlantic, is that um, these backyard areas, a lot of these buildings had, especially laundries and kitchens, uh, these buildings were a, a story and a half. Okay. And that second story upstairs is where a lot of slaves lived. Yeah. Now, my, my I got interested in this because I, I was asked, in the middle 80s to write a new guidebook for Colonial Williamsburg. The one that they'd had before was, was developed in the 1930s and they hadn't made any changes to it. And here's one big change. My, um, um, it was called the official guidebook to Colonial Williamsburg published in 1985. It was the first one that really mentioned slavery in a big way. Right. The one that they sold before that mentioned the word slave or slavery once or twice, but it was important. But something remarkable happened. In the, just about the middle 80s, or a little bit, I guess it was, but let's just say 1980. Right. Two historians at Colonial Williamsburg looked at the census for 1770. Now, 1770 is an important year because that's the year that everything is, is the baseline year for the restoration of Williamsburg. They want to take it back to 1770. Okay. So these, these two people, uh, Kevin Kelly and, and um, uh, oh, oh, so my brain is just departed from me. Mm -hmm. um, anyhow, these um, two um, um, historians discovered that a census taken in that year says that Williamsburg was more than 50% black. Right. Which it would shock people. Oh, did it? It was the capital. We knew there were lots of slaves in, in Virginia. Right. But we didn't have now there's one caution we're not certain that all of them lived in town because a lot of the rich people had farms outside of town right and so some of the slaves may have been living there but on their census they said like the Peyton Randolph Peyton Randolph was one of the signers of the declaration right. and um, he was the chairman of the, um, the committee of correspondence for Virginia really big political mm -hmm. and and, um, and and man about town and man about the colony he had 27 slaves, but he has a big backyard and lots and lots of buildings out there, very high level, because it's all been reconstructed based right. on. Now, Williamsburg doesn't do anything unless they have evidence. The documentation, either right. Either archaeology or other documentary things. Yeah. Um, and, and generally, that's been the way ever since the Williamsburg was founded. You know, there's something happened in architecture. I know I'm all over the place here in this discussion. <laughs> You're but, okay. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> So there's there's something happened in, in the history in architectural history, in starting seriously just after World War II. There's a man called Harold Colvin, Howard Colvin. Boy, I'm really great with names today. I <laughs> pronunciation. Howard Colvin was a um, uh, architectural historian at Oxford. He created something that we now call the the uh, Colvin Revolution, in which you don't say anything about buildings based on their beauty or aesthetic considerations. You talk about what the evidence you have, what documents, 
mm. and and what it looked like then because because changes buildings have changes made to them. right often so anyhow so it, he it, he brought a scientific attention to the history of architecture that had been more about beauty and connoisseurship and taste taste right. imagine yeah. taste yeah which always changes so that's when they founded colonial williamsburg starting roughly in 1926 um and over the next, you know, it really doesn't open until just about 36, 37, 38, 40, just before the war. Mm-hmm. Um, that Colvin revolution is what drives everything that they're going to do. And they say, well, take it back. They took everything out of the town that, that wasn't there at right. 1770. Something else happened to, to Colonial Williamsburg, and that helped us all to this day. And that is the capital of Virginia had to be moved from Williamsburg to Richmond right. in 1781 because the capital was very vulnerable to the British. So they moved the capital and that left Williamsburg after 1781 an economic backwater. Right. And if people don't have money, they don't mess with their houses. That's they true. They just live out their time in them. Yeah. So, it, so <clears throat> now we come to 1936. Um, 26 through 36 through 40, and they strip out everything. There are 88 original 18th century buildings. And of those 88 buildings, 35 of them are outbuildings. That's really interesting. And they're really interesting to me because, I mean, by the way, they've rebuilt, reconstructed lots of other buildings, but always on architectural foot, archaeological footprints of the right. building. So we know that. And other, you know, sometimes, you know, a visiting Russian soldier would draw, you know, bored one afternoon in 1750, would draw a picture of a house that he likes on Duke of Gloucester Street. That's the main right. So we have, so it has to have, so anything that they reconstructed had to have a lot of evidence. So, so anyhow, so just for, you, for people listening to this, this is, you know, Preservation is really interesting. Right. The two most important buildings that they rebuilt there are the governor's palace and the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Well, in the governor's palace, they had a lot more data. I mean, Thomas Jefferson, when he lived in the governor's palace, drew it. Actually, Thomas Jefferson never lived in a house they didn't draw. Oh, really? Yeah. So we have we have that, and then there's other there's other drawings of it and paintings mm-hmm. of it, things like that, and right. lots, lots of documentary because the governor lived there. Right. Of yeah. The Capitol because. The Capitol burned and they don't have as much evidence. And because of that, um, some of the architects uh, and they were, it was a Boston architectural firm that was overseeing um, the reconstruction of Williamsburg for the Rockefeller Foundation. They, those architects were generally trained in the Beaux-Arts um, yeah. tradition. And, and they, they tarted it up a little bit. They made it a lot prettier than it really needed to be. And so yes. we questioned some of their choices. There's a, there's a door surround, which is just way too cute. And Fan, too yeah, too fancy way for too early. Fancy. Yeah. So anyhow, so Williamsburg really has, so the work that I did for Williamsburg, um, once I, so I did that, I did, I did that, um, the, the official guidebook, and that's been, that was for sale from 1985 to 2015. And they have a new one now, and it's really big and it's hard to carry around. anyhow um but a lot of people by the way i have a lot of time for colonial williamsburg this is not i don't want to turn this into an ad for colonial williamsburg but all those people there 
Colonial Williamsburg is the most studied 18th century town in the world, in the world. And it has a big staff. Um, I don't know what the number is, but it used to be something like 250 people. And many of them had PhDs in certain, and and there's a staff to study every aspect of the 18th century, politics, constitutional law, ceramics, textiles, art, yeah, it's amazing. And then, and then they have all these craftsmen that are building in the old way, using old tools, no power yes, tools. Right. You know, you know, sawing giant boards in a in a saw pit where one guy's in the ground. <laughs> I've <laughs> seen that. <laughs> yeah. um, anyhow, so I have a lot of time for Williamsburg. They do things the right way, and that takes long, longer. It does. So it does. You can't. So this, this, let me just do one other story. Mm-hmm. When oh, they sure. first started, um, um, in Williamsburg, they they one summer, I guess it was, they had to, they needed some more logs or because they were building something. They went out in the woods and they began cut, cutting down trees. And within 15 minutes, they had to stop because once they started, you know, cutting into, you know, they were using uh-huh. original saws. Right. So many insects, they were bitten so much. <gasps> oh my goodness! They, yeah. they just fled. They all fled. They had to leave the woods and go and put you know put alcohol on themselves yeah. and recover. And then one of the historians looked at the farm records in the 18th century nobody cut log trees in the summertime if well you that makes sense tree, yeah yeah you cut trees in uh after the after the insects die yeah. and when the insects start coming back in february march you stop so no <laughs> there's no you have a short period <laughs> so you see how so important the documentary evidence if somebody yeah. hadn't done that we wouldn't have known that right Right. And it makes sense. Like, it, you know, it's, it's some of that knowledge, you know, does it once you don't need it anymore, does it get passed down? <laughs> Anyhow, so um, I, all your people should go to Colonial Williamsburg. It's yeah, a really I, nice I, place. And I agree. I nice agree place. with you. And the I collegiality it was really nice. Whenever I ask okay. anybody a question, they they always answer the question. If they didn't know it, they try and find or they tell me where to find the answer, that sort of oh, stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't any of this business of it's proprietary information right yeah yeah yeah. i um i know that at one of the historic sites here in lancaster county their kitchen is a story and a half and i'm i'm pretty sure that they because there's documentation that there were slaves living there i'm pretty sure that that's where yeah if you think think about that and that is the worst place in the world to live between april and october oh yeah it was hot yeah oh yeah and And it was yeah it was above the kitchen yeah so we have we have studies of deaths on, on especially in the in the tide water mm. and it's malaria and right. dysentery but a lot of uh septis, sepsis so you mm. think in the summertime slaves they didn't have mattresses but they had a mattress ticking that they'd put weeds in and and, and greenery right. and they changed that every, every couple of weeks or whenever it was yeah but from april when, when it was hot from april to october you couldn't sleep upstairs by the way the kitchen fire is always going it's oh yeah hot. yeah so it would be really hot yeah, so yeah. really hot so they they'd all get their mattress ticking and you know come down the ladder to from the second floor and go out and lay on the grass which meant they're in the tide water they're going to be chewed up and then oh they, yeah all kinds and of they bugs. scratch yeah it bleeds yeah. And it gets infected and there's nothing to do about an yeah, infection. They don't have antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 the, so it's septis and dysentery, but the third thing is suicide too, depression. Uh, yeah. And so something, something about the architect, this is what's important, but it's not, we want to look at these um, small buildings in the backyard because they're beautiful or whatever. It tells us about life. 
Right. But you think about the kitchens before the second quarter of the 19th century, all the kitchens just had a hole in the ceiling and a ladder going up. Yeah. So if you got sick or you wanted a little privacy with your girlfriend or wife, yeah. you had to come in the kitchen. The two of you had to climb up the ladder and get made fun of by other, all the other people. Right. So you didn't have any privacy. And that, and that weighs on you after a time. That, the pressure right. of being a slave, as if everything else isn't horrible, you <laughs> right. don't have any yeah. privacy. Yeah. So what happens is, you know, the pressure, pressure from the abolition mo- movement seems to be happening because after 1825, people start doing two things, building staircases that go up. Mm. They don't have to climb up a rugged right. ladder. Yeah. And another thing, <coughs> if it's a brand new kitchen, a separate door with an enclosed staircase See, oh, so yeah. that's just a shocking, and that that's why we do preservation. If you just right. go and say, "Here's a famous," we we need to have a 18th century style um, kitchen in our backyard. So you you select the most prettiest one you've ever seen, and you build right. that. Yeah, but pretty didn't count. Right. Yeah. No, so, it was only pretty on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that when you I've talked, by the way, one, uh, uh, can I just say something in yeah. honor of Ed Chapel? Ed Chapel was um, the head of the architecture research department at Williamsburg for a long time. He died last summer. He died ridiculously young and, and um, of a heart problem. And he he was terrific. And half the things I'm telling you today, I learned from him. But he, I've. Uh, I, I, I'm sort of upset I can't talk. He, he's an example of, of the great scholars that they had at Williamsburg. And um, they're still, pro- he's, he was a big loss, but it was great that we had him for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, anyway, and, and, his, and his knowledge continues on. Yeah, well, that, I'm, half the things I said to you today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we all stand on the shoulders of other people. And he had good teachers at some time too, but he had good eyes. Yeah. And um and he and he liked to share what he uh, saw with other other. There's anyhow. So uh so that so that so that 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 kitchen that kitchen kitchen change that the building itself can tell us about history. Um, that we can now use our imaginations a little more to to be that to say their name. Right. Say yeah. that name. What would it be like if I never had any peace with the woman that I loved? Right. Well, you know, it's yeah. without being made of yeah. fun, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that it's. It, but the architecture tells this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I I never thought about that, but I even in the um even in the the um even in the bigger buildings where it wasn't a separate outbuilding, but the back staircase, I I noticed that the doors yeah. and those changes. So yeah, I I I I. I totally totally see where you where you see that architectural change and now I'll, now I'll know that and know to look for that when I'm when I'm looking yeah. at buildings so. so the other thing about the, the backyard is it really is a place where slaves lived and worked they built those buildings and then they lived it so that's remarkable the other thing is about Williamsburg that's still the backyards and a lot of places they're just they're just too pretty. Backyard, you had all sorts of things. You had you had pigs there, you had cows there for a while. Usually, they right. were, you know, a lot of people had big animals out on their farms outside of town. But at least and, the smaller um, animals, but, chickens but, and things like that. Yeah, but there was a lot of it was a lot of 
industrial noise back then. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're cooking for a big household, there's all this smoke out there. And right. the only place that was always clean was the dairy. You couldn't have a speck, couldn't have a spider in there. It was always p- plastered inside with cove ceiling. There was, those were beautiful buildings because if dirt, if milk gets contaminated by anything, it can kill you. Right. And they understood that. You can't have things falling out of the sea. You can't have spider webs up there. So it's got to be plastered. Yeah. So um, that tells us a lot about it. Yeah, that does. Was it, were the um, dairies, were they just to hold the milk or did they, did they, they didn't, did they they milk in those? Milk didn't last a very long. So there wasn't a lot of milk being drunk. So everything was changed to cheese as soon as they could. The soft cheese or hard cheese. And, um, and that was just because of the absence of refrigeration. Yeah, they and they weren't so, pasteurizing. Yeah. yeah. So the other, the other, the other, if it's a, if it's a, 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 a ruined building and you think it was a, it was a, a dairy might have been there. The, the, the diagnostic is it'll be uh, its floor level will be about twenty one inches below the normal floor because they want um, to get because the, 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 you know, I think. I'm making up this number. I'm trying to remember this number. But I think five feet underground, it's always 54 degrees. It can be 90 up here mm-hmm. in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Even I think you're about right. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. So if you go down 21 inches, they don't want to go too deep because of flooding and things like that. Right. So you always go in and then you step down three steps and then you're down at the level. Yeah. And the other thing is the door on a dairy will always be on the north side because it never get the you never want direct sun in there. Oh, that makes sense. And the dairy, if it's if it's if it's surviving above the walls, there will never be windows. There will be louvered openings, but they'll be up under the eaves and there are really wide eaves. So you can see yeah. pictures of those in my so those the those are the diagnostics. I mean I can look at the ruin of a building and and or or its or its archaeological footprint and say, oh no 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 this, this is, first of all, they're always, always square too, because they wanted to put a pyramidal roof on them. Oh yeah. The pyramid doesn't fit on the top of an elongated building. Right. It's gotta right. Be, all four sides had to be the same. That'd thing. be equal. And then yeah. it looks right. And these are the rules of architecture. Mm-hmm. They're not, these guys, these black architects and builders and craftsmen, they're going to build it the right way. Architecture yeah. is, has a lot of rules. It does. Whoever, yeah. Whoever breaks those rules doesn't get to keep being an architect. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was, and it's a lot of geometry and a lot of, you know, laying out to get it to come out right. (laughs) So, um, I know that in your book, you talk about buildings that were octagons and hexagons. Was there a reason for, for that? Well, um, I, uh, the book has uh, two chapters, one on hexagons and one on octagons. And uh, both of them are really important in sacred architecture. And uh, I mean, after, after uh, not, this, this rule is sort of um, not hard and fast, but I'm just saying every, in Europe, uh-huh. any, every early baptismal font that I've ever seen after 1200 and, and, and before, say, 1850, 1875, they're always octagonal. Huh. And that is because eight is the, is the perfect number. Eight symbolizes the first day of the week and the eighth day of the week. 
in all medieval literature. My, my PhD is in medieval right. literature. Yeah. So um, we, it, it happens again and again. They say, you know, Christ was born into eternity on the eighth day of the week, the eighth day of the week, right. because that's the eternal number. And in one of Chaucer's great poems, the, the, um, the, the man's name is Troilus and he's dead and he's looking it down on earth and he says, the seven days of my life are over and this is my eighth day of eternity and I'm in heaven now and I'm happy. So everybody knew there was a, this was the kind of thing that Christians knew. And we're talking about mainly European architecture, so, right, right. which is mainly Christian. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so everybody knew what that meant. And I, I think it comes from, you know, when, when, when the Jews who are Christians come to Rome, they have to have baptisms and they start doing it in big bathhouses, Roman bathhouses. For some reason, those are always octagonal. Hmm. Yeah. And if you look at the baptistry, say you've been to Florence, the baptistry in front of, that was, that was a building to have baptisms. It's an octagonal building. Huh, so, that's interesting. If you, so most of the time, if you go to a, any of the churches, that, if you're going to England and you visit a county, um, a parish church, even, even in, um, in London, in you know, ninety-five percent of the cases, the um, baptismal font will be octagonal. Hmm. So I, I talk about the, the nature of octagons and yes, and yes, some uh, so so that's a so the hexagon, however, is the number of repentance and forgiveness, and so in in um, um, churches that have pulpits, in most cases the pulpits are have six sides. They're hexagons. And so, and when, what do you get from the pulpit? You get stories of repentance right. and forgiveness. And that, and, and so um, this, this sort of, this sort of in Williamsburg, um, the, uh, the tower, uh, the, the um, um, bell tower and uh, lantern over the uh, courthouse of 1770 is six sided. See, oh. repentance and yeah. punishment, you know? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to get two of those things on that building. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and whereas on the church of um, 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 Britain Parish Church, the, um, the tower is octagonal. And that, you know, that represents yeah. eternity. Yeah. So, um, and architects knew this. And I won't say that everybody in the 18th century walking up and down the door to Gloucester Street knew the distinction. They, they, maybe they didn't know that, but culturally they did. Right. Yeah. And, and the ones that had a lot of education could have explained that to them. But everybody said, I, I'm not sure that someone walking down the street would have said, oh, why does that church have an eight? What has a six side thing? And right. Was, I don't think anybody may would have you know, complained about that. Yeah. But someone might have. But they could have known that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, you know, the, the, so those two. I just talked about symbolism and architecture. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um what um, have you have you encountered as um, like some of the challenges in preserving or restoring outbuildings? Well, um, I think the the biggest problem is people that have a um, an old uh, building like that, and they just try and restore it themselves, and they always yeah. tart it up and make it more. I uh, the the big the county town where I'm Talbot County, Maryland, uh-huh. Easton has a, a, a lovely um, smokehouse that's been uh, restored and they did a beautiful job. 
they put her a round headed over the uh, round headed. They, they they took the uh, the square lintel over the door uh-huh. and made it round headed. So they tarted it up and it looks oh, beautiful. Goodness. And they yeah. put a transom light. That, that that there's never ever been a um, smokehouse that. And no. they, put a win- they put a window in it. Smokehouses don't. I was just, yeah, you can't. Have, I was before you even said that. I was saying you can't have a transom if you're going to smoke in there. <laughs> the whole point is to keep the smoke inside. Right. And instead of windows, they 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 take like a pattern of of six or eight bricks out of each wall. Right. And because yeah. the, the the smoke, if if you have it completely sealed up, the fire goes out. Right. And the you point of a smokehouse is draw. you keep yeah. the fire going on in there for three weeks. And it dries out all the meat. And the other thing is they never have a floor because there's all that goop that's, you know. Oh, yeah. You put the, you put in, the, you, you, first of all, you kill the pigs in December. You put them in tubs of salt water. And, and that's, that water is like mixture of, of blood and salt water and, and yeah. drains out and it just yeah. drains into the ground. Sometimes there's a brick floor, but it's not, and there's no mortar. It's just right. Yeah, the water just, goes in. Yeah. The, the watery mess goes in between there. And the other thing inside is there's never any. It's just wood, and there's creosote over all the wood inside there. So, it's it's and it was, but it's a well-made building because you don't want rats to get in. Right. And you don't want neighbors to come and steal your meat because once you kill those pigs or those cows and dry the meat, that's your meat locker. Right. So you'll also have a big strong door with big um, hinges on them too. So that mm-hmm. it's gonna take people a while to get in there to steal your meat. Right. That's the meat you'll have, you'll be eating all through. The all, all, all year. Yeah. You only kill pill every once in a while. And we had this from the notes. I think um, Landon Carter, the owner of a huge uh, Virginia estate, it's called King Carter. He complains in the, in, uh, in his, Ellen, it's his diary or a letter to someone doesn't make a difference. He says, uh, well, we, we killed a pig yesterday and um, we had to eat it all. So uh, we didn't finish. It. I gave the rest of it to the slaves. Oh. And because you can't store it. Right. It'll go, it'll go bad. So right. generously gave it to his slaves. So, um, but that's the only time you'll see them killing a pig or an animal in the summertime. But they're going to eat it all right away. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll. Otherwise, yeah, it, it, the the weather is just not conducive to, especially with no refrigeration. Yeah. Also, it's not it's not conducive to keeping your animals alive in the winter time because there's not enough for them to forage on. They lose weight in the winter time, and yeah, yeah. So, so there's that sort of stuff. Um, so uh, you've mentioned your um, guidebook for Colonial Williamsburg, but I did notice that you've written a, a lot of other books. Do you want to talk about them a little bit? Oh, I'll do. I I wrote a book um, um, called um, the Smithsonian Book of Books, and that, that was nineteen ninety two. It's a big format book that um, is about everything about the history of books. It's twenty four chapters, one for each um, letter of the Greek alphabet, and um, and it has so it's about the history of printing. It's about the history of manuscripts. It's about the history of children's books. It's 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 just it's a it's a lovely book and it has it has three hundred seventy five uh, illustrations, most of them in oh, color. Yeah, and it's it's a big format book and it's out of print now, but it, you can get it on Amazon. Someone told me it's it goes for a hundred dollars on Amazon, but it's a really great book. And if that you sounds, have a, it sounds pretty. Yeah, 
Uh, it, it's a remarkable book. It's Smithsonian's spend a lot of money on it, but um, it's out of print now, so I don't get any more money from it. So, but <laughs> I think it's a, it'd be a great Christmas present for a person who says they like books. It's called oh, yeah, the definitely. Smithsonian Book of Books. Amazon, not Amazon. Uh, oh yeah, Amazon may have some uh, uh, secondhand, but it's it's out of print now. Okay. It's published by the Smithsonian Institution Press. Okay. Two thousand and nine. No, sorry, nineteen ninety two. Nineteen ninety two. Okay. Oh, that's 30 years ago. It is. Yeah. We, we were, um, we were, uh, I was in a meeting um, and the last countywide architectural survey was done like about that time. I think it was like 1991-92. And we were in this meeting discussing it. And I just said, I just want everybody to know that I was in middle school when this was done. So maybe we should redo it. <laughs> So I, 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 they, um, they, they, I don't think they, sometimes they know what to do with me. <laughs> so well, um, I'm, I'm, thanks for your interest in, in my books. Um, there a lot of, a lot of everything I said today is in, in that book, but I, maybe I talked too much about Williamsburg today, but Williamsburg was really an extra you know, continuing education. For, for, for oh yeah. I, I, I can imagine just working with all of the, all of the people that, specialize have such a narrow specialty that you yeah. can talk to and interact i would love that <laughs> i i just yeah well, well the, the 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 internationally famous textile historian at williamsburg lindley Baumgarten, she found a um there was a kind of uh, you know like a sampler uh -huh. that was used um by um laundry maids and it had and it said shirts and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and and then and it had um, pillowcases and it had sheets and all the items of of uh, laundry that were done. So when she sent them out, she would put maybe a pin over six sheets and three pillowcases. So she could keep track. Two shirts yeah. and and other things, smalls, which is underwear, yeah. those yeah. sorts of things. So she had this, and it had it was it was made like a sampler. All the names, all the categories of clothing and then numbers to so when she got back to things clean she would check it off and make sure someone didn't steal someone's underwear right you know, yeah just a remarkable document and that's the opening picture of that something i mean this really was a place to work a job of work it was efficiently and yeah and yeah. by the way people have enough money to hire someone to make a sampler to save right. money with the other things i mean it was yeah. just just amazing that is, that is. And this was all in the hands of their slaves that are doing everything for them. Yeah. yeah. That, that It's amazing because I think, and I read a book um, last year or the year before called The History of Black Business in America. And it talks about the complex societies in Africa and how those got transported here. And it's not often acknowledged um, or it wasn't previously, I think more and more it's changing that you know, some of the people running the plantations, while the 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 head of the household was away doing whatever they did, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise whether it was politics or working in the city, were the were the slaves. They were they were running everything and keeping things running efficiently, and that that was a form of business, and that they were running businesses even if it wasn't for themselves. Yeah. Um. But you know, there was there was for a long time this um narrative that 
that, you know, they needed somebody to tell them what to do. They couldn't do things by themselves because, you know, they, they just didn't have that, you know, natural. And, you know, it was all to pe- pe- uh, continue to uh, per- um perpetuate slavery so but you know that you know they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to do this without somebody telling them how to do it or what to do yeah yeah but um so i i I think that that that's something that that i think more and more as we learn and more more of these more of these um primary sources come out showing i think that that really will make a difference in the narrative of, of of our of our historical telling of, of that time period well anybody that's been i mean i mean i've i spent a lot of time writing for television too mm-hmm. and just between yeah. you and me and everyone that's listening to this show executives in the television industry have way too much power and have very little competence right yeah and they're in charge but they're not doing anything well they can't they can't do the work but they can just run things and go to meetings right and there were times when I would, uh, a person like that would tell me to make a change in the script in some movie. And I, it was, first of all, it was a stupid change. <laughs> and I just, I just didn't do it. I just said, well, okay, I said, okay, I'll do it. And I didn't. And you know what? I never got a call back. I thought, I thought you told me, they never watch television. No. <laughs> they go out drinking and go to parties and whatever the hell they're doing. But they're not, you know, they, you know they're just rich people. They're going out to the $900 dinner you know, with its $70 cigars and all that stuff. They're not watching television to see if something that was on the National Geographic channel has the words in it. That right. Yeah. 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 That, that, yeah. <laughs> My experience is a lot of people that a lot, not everybody and, and certainly not in academe, but some, some look, a lot of people that, that may make it to the top of the tree are boosted up by their incompetence and the way to get rid of them is to push them up higher. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, I, I've I've heard that. <laughs> so, um, what um, what trends and challenges do you see in in preservation from your from your point of view? I, the biggest, I think, the biggest um, problem is money. There isn't enough um, preservation being done, and B is education. There isn't enough people who realize how important saving old buildings is right we don't even i mean i I, probably uh, two generations ago the things that i've said to you that i learned from other people about those old buildings Mm -hmm. no one knew that right it's it's just people keeping an eye open looking at and looking at the evidence yeah i just remember what ed chapel said to me when he said i said he said this building has to be made after 1825 it's not as early and i said why and he said i've never seen i've never i've looked at hundreds of slave cabins they don't have a a staircase that's enclosed until after at least 1825 so i don't care when this building was built that staircase didn't happen until after 1825 right so that he's using that evidence and then that wouldn't have occurred to anyone before him and, and, and now that you've shared that with me, I will now look at buildings with a different light too. So, yeah. See, because well, the first, the, the title of my first chapter is every building is a text. Mm-hmm. It can be read like a book. Yeah. And, but we're, I mean, yeah, so I think it's, it's our generation and we'll pass that on the next generation and they'll find new things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, 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 and that, and that's, that's how it, 
I think that's that's the natural order of things. Yeah. So, um, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share before we before we um, wrap up that you thought of while we were talking? I didn't. I just wanted to say that um, I've been really lucky. I mean, I had good teachers. Williamsburg couldn't have been nicer to me. And I just think education kids kids need to read more. School teach school teachers should be all millionaires. They should pay paid a lot more. Yeah. And I know some of them, some of them take advantage of them, but some millionaires take advantage of it, the money that they have too. Yeah. I'm just saying you can't spend enough money to recover this country in education. That's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. People have to stop listening to stuff that they've heard and figure and look at the evidence and, and, and read yeah. and, and try and understand people instead of telling people what you know about them. Right. Yeah. And, I know and, these people are like this, so they don't deserve that. This is what I know about these people. You don't know anything about anybody else. And no. the other thing that you, education tells people is you're not better. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not worse than any, everybody right. else, yeah. but I'm not generally better than anybody else. And that's a good way. If I, if I already thought I was better than you, why would I tell you anything? Right. You know, yeah. it's just, just, but some people go through life thinking that they're better than a certain class or type or color of people. Right. That is, well, that's is that? very who, true. Who would yeah. ever believe that? Yeah. Unless you need to believe that for some other damn reason. Right. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to curse on your thing, but you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think that I, I usually feel sorry for those people because I usually feel like that they, they, they're they're trying to compensate for something else that has nothing to do with me <laughs> but i agree <laughs> that, that's, that they're 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 definitely struggling um so where where can someone purchase your your books um um amazon um this one is available at amazon i think okay. i think it's like 26 or 27 dollars yeah it's somewhere in that it's range probably, I did, probably, I did you can also it. get it directly from cornell university press okay so it was published in Cornell by Cornell University Press in 2009. They still they just reprinted it. I just got some new copies. And, and okay. Cornell University Press is a fine press, so I'm happy about it. Very good. And if someone was um, interested in in um, in contacting you, how how would you recommend them to find? Um, I'm I'm in the English department at the University of Maryland, and that's in College Park, Maryland. And the zip is 20742. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much for, for your time today. I, I appreciate it. I learned a lot and, and I, I thank you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. And uh, I, think it's, I think your podcast is really interesting. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.